Welcome to Dispatches, the official podcast for the Journal of the American Revolution. The Journal of the American Revolution publishes weekly online at www.allthingsliberty.com. For the latest in research, reviews, and commentaries, America's Most Important History is available free of charge at the Journal of the American Revolution. We are the only country on planet Earth that asks, at critical junctions of our history or important times of our political lives, what would our founding fathers think? That's Journal of the American Revolution contributor John Happ talking about the defense of the French diplomat Beaumarchais. And he's our guest today. I'm Brady Kreitzer, and this is Dispatches. This episode is sponsored by the University of Pennsylvania Press, publishers of Captives of Liberty, Prisoners of War and the Politics of Vengeance in the American Revolution by T. Cole Jones, available wherever books are sold. Hello ladies and gentlemen and welcome to another episode of Dispatches. I'm your host, Brady Kreitzer. Today our guest is Journal of the American Revolution contributor John Happ, and he'll be talking about the life an important legacy of Pierre-Augustin Beaumarchais, one of the very important diplomats in building and continuing America's incredibly important relationship with the Empire of France during the American Revolution. I love John Habs' article on this matter in defense of Beaumarchais because he is not afraid to go full bore on what he believes to be a lot of misconceptions about France's intentions for the American colonies and their revolution. He speaks with authority on a topic that, regrettably, most Americans don't know enough about. So sit back, relax, and enjoy our interview with John Happ. John Happ, thank you for joining us. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Tell us about your background. So my youth was imbued with history. At an early age, I was made aware of half family history. Oddly enough, our forefathers settled uh, north of Chicago along what was what is called today still the Green Bay Trail, and that was in 1843. The Green Bay Trail is an old deer path and an Indian trail, which just that it links Chicago, Fort Dearborn, with uh, Green Bay all the way up along Lake Michigan there. But this area where my family settled. Uh, came to be known and is still known today as New Trier Township after where the family came from, which was Trier, Germany. And then the path that, traver- that traversed you know, our family farm became a major road. And to this day, it's named Hap Road. Um, that first grandfather, that first immigrant, Hap, uh, was the area's first blacksmith. But then he went on to make himself the first circuit court judge in the township. He rode around adjudicating plot lines and helping settle grievances and things like that. So since then, we've had Civil War veterans, World War I veterans, World War II veterans, Korean, Vietnam uh, War veterans. So, yeah, I feel like I have a unique family history, which uh, naturally stoked uh, a love of country and of history, of course. Then. 
on a personal level, I've uh, periodically lived overseas, first studying at the University of Madrid, and then I was lucky enough to find a job which allowed me to travel. I was posted overseas uh, on different occasions, uh, taking me to South America, Europe, and Asia, and things like that. So it's it's been uh, rewarding. I speak five languages, and I've been immersed in I would say contrasting narratives of foreign cultures since uh, a young age. And so then what brings me here today is that I, out of my love for history, periodically write articles for uh, the journal, the journal of the American revolution. What first drew your interest into this topic? So I'm the guy that reads all those roadside markers, you know, Washington slept here and the like, and in Paris, there is a remarkable statue of Beaumarchais. So I looked further into his life as a playwright and as this character who surreptitiously injured the British while helping the American rebels. It's a fascinating story and a, a valuable example, I believe, of real politique. No question about that. What do you believe is the biggest misconception regarding French support for the American revolutionaries. Yeah. So I think it's really important to note that our American revolution took place before the French revolution. Before 1789, France was a monarchy and the American revolution was all about overthrowing monarchy, eliminating the class system that, you know, kept us poor and powerless. So what gets lost in our fight against the Brits was that France didn't expect America defeat, to defeat the UK or necessarily did they want us to defeat the UK. France simply wanted to perpetuate the war so that the rebels would exhaust, wear out, tie up that rival monarchy in the UK. Who is Beaumarchais before the war? Very interesting character. So before uh, the war, Beaumarchais, I, I consider him to be an aspiring aristocrat. He was a climber, you would say. He wanted to improve his situation and had brilliant talents to help him get ahead. He was what is called a polymath. The term, a little bit ambiguous, but poly should be understood, is the term for many. But the math part of that term was not mathematics per se, but it comes from a Greek word referring to the process of learning. So Beaumarchais had this incredibly versatile mind, capable of learning and dominating a wide variety of skills and subjects and disciplines. So then specifically, he's uh, noted for having ingratiated himself with the French monarch, Louis XVI, as a young watchmaker. Pocket watches at the time were novelties and decorative, but often they didn't even function properly. So Beaumarchais figured out a mechanism that made those watches run correctly and at the same time made them lighter and smaller. So these were real innovations that got you know the attention of the king. From that introduction, he gained assignments teaching music at the palace, and he eventually rose to be assigned various diplomatic missions. But through it all, he wrote political and philosophical essays, and then hugely successful plays. You raise some questions regarding his character. You mentioned that even his name is something of a fabrication. Tell us about that. 
Well, very curious. So he's born as something of a commoner. This, this man, he, he was named by his parents, Pierre-Auguste Caron, C-A-R-O-N, Pierre-Auguste Caron. But after he married, he added this fancy appellation, de Beaumarchais, which was the name of certain woodlands attached to his wife's estate. So this gives him a little bit added cachet. He's not just a commoner uh, by the name of Caron, but he's Caron de Beaumarchais. So, and I do characterize Beaumarchais as this brilliant intellect, but also as a climber. And fair enough, in that world, all power and wealth flowed from privilege, the nobility and the king. Without going through them, you could not get ahead in the world. So entrepreneurs like Bill Gates or Elon Musk may have been trampled upon if they were not of the nobility of that day, for example. So by questioning Beaumarchais' character, I question his motives, too. Yeah, he outright helped the Americans, but why? Was he a true believer like Lafayette or Kosciusko? I do not at all think so. Even though his plays do reflect the pre-French Revolution voices of the common man, which some say actually stirred the crowds and heralded in that uh, their own revolution, the French Revolution. So, like us today, he's a mixed bag of ambition and conscience. Think of our own personal conflicts with Black Lives Matter and Blue Lives Matter, for example. You know, we all weigh our own advocacy of certain causes versus keeping your job, keeping your friends, keeping food on the table. You know, how far do you go? So, I'm sure Beaumarchais struggled in much the same way we do today. Beaumarchais will do what I think is a very modern thing by establishing a shell company of sorts. Can you talk about that? Isn't that interesting? So, right. First of all, the King of Spain is the nephew of France's Louis XVI. So the two countries share pro-democracy views. They share anti-British sentiments. And then as a youth, Beaumarchais had spent some time in Spain, which, by the way, is how he was able to add color to his play, The Barber of Seville, Seville being in Spain, of course. In distant Madrid, Beaumarchais saw the benefits of creating this anonymous shell company at a bank which is only too glad to handle his accounts, passing millions of French livres and similar amounts of Spanish silver, you know, through their accounts. So for that price, a discreet banker is happy to keep secrets. And in this way, the British can't see who's buying armaments or can they see for what purpose. From Madrid, maybe they were to serve Spanish interests in the Philippines, for example. So it's a very interesting uh, setup. How big of a role does Beaumarchais play in the greater scheme of French support for American patriots? Well, yeah, it was... It was Big. There's no doubt about that. The rebels were struggling. It was a challenge to fill the ranks of fighting units and get guns and ammunition, gunpowder. It was expensive and tricky to outfit them. The British controlled all American trade and all of our ports. So only by secret pirate-style operations could the colonists mount forces and acquire arms. 
Omar Shea's operations, and it's estimated that he ran upwards of 40 ships back and forth across the Atlantic at this time, those efforts came together before the Battle of Saratoga. And at that battle, the Americans scored, as we know, an astonishing victory. And no one disputes that the pirated supplies from Beaumarche turned the tide. How did Beaumarche convince the French government that an American victory was actually possible? Uh, I, you know, if I understand your correctly, uh, your question correctly, I don't think Beaumarche did convince the French government that an American victory was possible per se. Remember that the French hope was to simply entangle the British in a dragged out, you know, exhausting war. The French nobility and monarchs all across Europe abhorred the idea of upstart common subjects, peasants challenging monarchical rule, divine rights and all that. So it's true after Saratoga, France did feel more emboldened to overtly support the Americans and join the cause against Britain. But I don't see any evidence of Beaumarchais himself necessarily convincing the French to, uh, to uh, outright support the Americans. What happens to Beaumarchais after the revolution? Well, after the war, so he winds down this Hortelez and company, you know, this uh, secret shell company. He winds down those operations and returned to writing plays mainly. Of late, shortly after the war, comes uh, The Marriage of Figaro. And I want to clarify some, you know, potential confusion. Beaumarchais wrote the original plays, which were called The Barber of Seville and The Marriage of Figaro. And they've entered into our consciousness publicly, uh, no doubt about it. They are popular themes, you know, in the theatrical world today. Um, and the plays, those two plays especially that he wrote, were wildly successful in Paris for weeks and weeks, if not months and months. But these two were plays uh, written by Beaumarchais, which were later adapted into popular operas. So... The Barber of Seville, which we know as the opera, was written by, was adapted from Beaumarchais and written by uh, Rossini. And The Marriage of Figaro was made popular as an opera by Mozart. So um, that's the majority of information that we have on Beaumarchais after the war as a very successful dramatist. How does the story help us understand the revolutionary era better? We are the only country on planet Earth that asks at critical junctions of our history or important times of our political lives, what would our founding fathers think? Or is this what the founding fathers intended? We, no, one, no other country that I know of asks that question. So as we go about reevaluating what makes America great or what values still unify us as a country, I think it's important to look closer at Alexander Hamilton's story, for example, or hear, you know, Beaumarchais' real motives. It's important to recognize the motives behind France's action before their French Revolution, as I'm sure Benjamin Franklin understood or Silas Dean understood. It was only after their revolution that they adopted an American-style Bill of Rights called the Rights of Man. So it's important that we get these values understood, their sources, and to correct their failings, if any. 
So to me, it's uh, the lessons are in- inspirational. John Hap, thank you for joining us. It was a pleasure. It's great to uh, speak with you tonight. The music played in this episode included works by Kevin McLeod and the Sturbridge Colonial Militia. Any unauthorized reproduction or use of this podcast, without the express written permission of the Journal of the American Revolution, is strictly prohibited. For everyone here at Dispatches, I'm Brady Kreitzer saying so long.